0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
1: Welcome to Earth Station 1, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show.
2: Presenting the world premiere of an original motion picture produced especially for ABC.
0: May I introduce myself? My name is Kolshak of the Daily
2: Chronicle. Shack reports the bizarre, the supernatural, the unexplainable. You again is another crazy story. This nut thinks he is a vampire. You know what I call that? Irresponsible yellow journalism.
3: He has killed four, maybe five women.
4: I saw that so-called super killer wipe up the streets with your so-called police force. They don't want any help from amateur bloodhounds like you. Well, I've been a reporter for 22 years. I've been a
3: police officer for 30. Well, then why don't you retire?
0: Each man of the field is issued one of these, and uh, one of these. Are you suggesting that we pound one of these into Scorsini's chest? No, not into his heart. Darren McGavin, the Night Stalker.
2: ABC presents Tuesday.
1: Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We're back. And we got Kolchak, the Night Stalker. We actually talked about Kolchak way back. And it was actually eight years ago this week. We actually did. In episode 285 of Earth Station One, we actually reviewed, talked all about Kolchak, the Night Stalker, mostly about the series and such. And actually, Mark was on that episode. And it was an interesting conversation. And it's been quite some time. And we thought it's time to explore the world of Kolchak again. And hopefully we won't talk about that wonderful remake they did a couple of years back. You know, so I don't think that's going to be on anyone's list. The only person who was ever cold check was Darren McGavin, according to me. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a great one for us to talk about tonight. Of course, Mr. Mark Maddox is here. We couldn't do this without him.
2: Well, thanks for having me on. You guys know how much I love this subject, so I appreciate it.
1: Okay. And joining us for the very first time, another Mark. Let's <laughs> welcome Mark DeWitsiak.
2: Thank you for
3: having me. Good to be here. Mark.
1: Great to have you, sir. And you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself?
3: Well, I, you know, I, I, I begin and end just by saying I'm a writer. You know, I've, I've written or edited about 25 books, and the resume is schizophrenic as hell. So, I mean, you know, whatever anybody says, sir, says, well, what do you, what kind of books do you write? And it's kind of, what do you got? Um, you know, the runs the gamut from books about classic television, like, uh, like Night Stalker and Columbo and The Twilight Zone to books about Mark Twain. My most recent book is a biography of Edgar Allan Poe. So it's a, a written fiction, nonfiction. If there's a way to make money by pushing nouns against verbs, I've probably done it. So
1: oh that is awesome. That is really awesome. Well welcome to the show. Sir. Thanks. It's
4: good to be here. So we're
1: gonna have two mics and two marks. So this is gonna be a fun one for you, Gordon.
4: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh I am also glad to be here again. Uh like always, every week howdy and good to uh, have you my friend absolutely and we are continuing to count down to halloween so and as you did said we we did uh talk about kolchek um a while back and uh but there's you know it, it's so amazing to me that this this little show that is you know two movies two made for tv movies and what is it a few episodes of 20, one season 20 episodes. 20 20 episodes, 20 episodes. Yeah. like still there's still so much to uncover and talk about like it seems like there's just stuff about this uh endlessly um with the, even if the show itself or regarding its influence which is still felt today um and uh also i do know that the series itself is celebrating 50 year anniversary this year. Um so not 50th anniversary of the character because the the first movie uh was uh was before uh that but uh um, aired before that but the actual series celebrates the 50th year. Or so so uh it's a milestone in a lot of ways. Uh makes us all feel old, I'm sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> so
3: well me oh, uh of all probably because uh, f- you know 50 years ago i was starting college uh <laughs> and i was starting towards a journalism degree at george washington university and i basically had decided that because of carl Kolshak. wow uh, and it was wow. that was the exact same month september 1974 that the series started i was starting work at, at, at towards a journalism degree so um so yeah my bones are creaking right now
4: Absolutely. And uh well, we're all getting there. So that's for sure. Um and um and, and I guess we can just get right into it then. Uh and 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 Mark, I am curious as to how you first discovered Kolchak. Like I mean, you must have been there sort of like when the first movie aired. Were you right there from the start? I was. I
3: was fifteen. I I, I became a horror fan at the age of seven. Um and you know, I saw a movie and I grew up in the New York area. In dear old WPIX Channel 11 showed Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein when I was seven years old. I oh, was there yeah. for the Abbott and Costello half of that title. I didn't hmm. know what a Frankenstein was at seven years old. But by the end of that film, uh, I had been transformed into a horror fan. So, you know, I was, you know, we don't have this. We didn't have this term back then. We now talk about people like us as monster kids. You know, that's become a, a popular we didn't have that phrase in the 60s. We were just horror fans. And uh, that's 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 a later thing that we sort of cooked up as a label for, for people who had that kind of shared childhood. Right. So by the right. time I was 15, I'd, I'd seen an awful lot of this stuff. And the ad started around October, uh, early October. It was a great ad campaign. It was one of the best ad campaigns that ABC ever came up with. Um, and you couldn't tell from the ads, from the commercials, whether it was a real vampire or not. You, you know, it was, it was done real cagely. Um, when I wrote the book, uh, the, the, the history of the Coleshack character, um, I was a full-time TV critic at the time. And I, uh, one of my contacts at ABC was a, uh, in a publicist named Dan Duran. And I said to Dan, "Do you remember a movie called The Night Stalker? I'm writing a book about it." He said, "Yeah." You yeah, know. Yeah. And I said, "I said, well, do you remember who handled the ad campaign? I want to talk to him." He said, "I did." I said, uh-huh. no. <laughs> so I said, "Tell me about it." You know, tell me about. It. So, um, and 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 the ads just sort of built, the the. By the time we reached January, it was at a fever pitch. Everybody was talking about this. Everybody was talking about even people who weren't horror fans were sort of like, "Are you going to watch it? Yeah, I'm going to watch it." Are you kidding? There was this buzz that had been built because of these commercials, going into this. And you have to remember that in October of seventy-one, ABC aired uh, Brian's Song, one of the most acclaimed TV right. movies of all time. It set the ratings record for TV movies. It held it for all of like seven or eight weeks, because Night Stalker airs in January and 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 breaks the record all to hell. After that, uh, everybody was watching it, uh, and and. You know what? If you you look at what it, the the rating was, the rating was a thirty three point four. Now to to put that into English, uh, Nielsen sells or used to sell according to homes households. So thirty three point four was the percentage of TV households which were tuned into the Night Stalker, which means more than a third of the country was what? Because most households have more than one person, right? So we right. know that. And then there's what's called the share. The share is the number of the percentage of people who are actually watching TV at a certain time because not everybody's watching TV at the certain right, right now. You, we, we, the four of us are not watching television right now. We're not an available audience. So the share is how many people actually watching television were watching your show at that time? Night Stalker got a 54 share. Damn. Wow. 54, which means more than one out of two people. <laughs> <watching> <laughs> right. The Night Stalker. And yet, you know, now I taught a class, uh, uh, Vampires in Film and Television, for 10 years at Kent State. I taught it each semester, spring, fall, spring, fall, for 10 years. And uh, we would go decade by decade. We'd start with Nosferatu and work our way through. And we got to get to the 70s. And I tell, I would always tell my kids, you're about to see the best known, unknown vampire film of all, all time. And they'd look at you like, oh, yeah, yeah, the, you know, we, you can't put one past us. And I said, okay, it's a Night Stalker. Not a one, never knew it not a one ever recognized the title wow. and yet you know this goes on to influence everything that they liked the rolling thunder of influence of, of the night stalker you know everybody who goes on to do horror you, you pick it up in the 90s you go to like like just like 15 20 years later just perfect perfect, perfect. Right after that, everybody who does Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The X Files, Men in Black, all of this grim supernatural, Fright, Fright Night, yes, all of it, all of it. Yeah. They're all about Night Stalker. They all will tell you this is what yeah. what did it for me. Yeah. So they were influenced. And now the great thing about this this movie was when I would show it in class was when the lights came up. These kids were were just gobsmacked. They loved it. They absolutely loved this movie. And you're talking about an ancient movie to the, you're talking 19, 20 year olds. This is an ancient movie. It's got no special mm-hmm. effects to speak of, no CGI, no budget, you know. Of, of, <laughs> Shot to, in
4: like a week, right?
3: <laughs> and yet, and yet the magic that worked then still works on a 19 and 20 year old today, if they give it a chance that they see it. So that's that's the magic of it. Yes, it's 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 a fandom that, you know, tends to be confined to a small tight group that knows what you're talking about. When you say and when you say Night Stalker, it's very devoted. It's very loyal. Thank goodness. But it, um, it, it it's not something which has jumped generation to generation. You know, it's up to people right. like us to sort of keep that flame going.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mark, did you see the did you see it when it first aired?
2: Yes, uh, I remember I was in the fourth grade and. Um, I I wasn't a very happy kid at the time. My dad was in Vietnam. You know, we didn't go any place. My mom didn't really like driving. So we didn't like, I never, I had that whole two years. My dad was gone. I never went to a movie theater or anything like that, but television, comic books. That's when I was getting into comic books, but the, but these, these ads started up for this movie. TV movie, and I'll never forget those lines. The lines that sold me that Mark is talking about is him yelling, this nut thinks he's a vampire. He's killed four, maybe five women, but this nut thinks he's a vampire. I'm already going like, I'm already leaning in. The first time that (laughs) first preview came on and every time that preview came on, I'm like, Please be a vampire. Please be a vampire. Please be a vampire. I mean, don't be some psycho no, We'll save that for years later on Starsky and Hutch with John Saxon. Just don't, don't. And when the, you know, people were building up slowly to this thing, and that's why it got uh, the, the, the colossal ratings that it did. And the night that I watched it, I left. That turned that TV set off, and I was not disappointed. I was ecstatic about what I had just seen. It was it was beautifully made, b- b- wonderful acting, bunch of great character actors in it. It was tight. There was no excess. There was no, you know, pick and lint out of your navel scenes. And like I said, it was like everything built towards this, this ending. And then the anti-hero or the screw-over thing at the end, where he gets, uh, you know, gets ousted. Uh, it was just, it was brilliant. You know, it was absolutely brilliant. And then the next day in school, kids were talking about, it, including, as Mark said, the people who weren't even horror film fans had watched it and they were talking about it too. It was one of those moments where, you know, it, things kind of broke through the, through the wall of the, of the nerd bubble pre pre the word nerd, I guess. But, uh, you know, Uh, and 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 people loved it,
4: Mm yeah. Mike, what about you? Did you do you remember recall the first time you saw it? Oh, first,
1: the first time I saw the movie, I actually was introduced to the TV series first because, um, the local CBS um station in Washington, DC probably I was in ninth grade by this point, or maybe even 10th grade. Um, a friend of mine told me about it. They showed at, instead of on Friday nights, they showed, they did a horror show, you know, type thing. And they showed every Friday night, the Night Stalker series. And so I watched that, you know, and, you know, then me and my friend Dale used to get together the next on Saturday and like, did you watch it? Oh, did you see it? And, you know, we used to just talk about all the episodes and everything we didn't know anything about the movie we just thought it was a tv series and i actually didn't even see the movie probably my senior uh, senior of high school probably i was at a creation con and they were doing a panel on kolchak the night stalker and they um actually had darren mcgavin there at Oh the wow! Time. and he came and he was talking about it, and they were talking about the vampire movie. And I was like, vampire movie? What vampire? You know, type thing. And then they were talking about Night Strangler taking place in Seattle. And it was just like, I've got to find these. And, you know, VHS was just starting up at the time and these things weren't available yet. And I had to get a bootleg copy of it to watch it the first time. And um it was, you know, taped off TV or something. And, you know, and it was like, you, it, it was staticky. It was it was crap, but I loved every second of it that I was watching about it, and the big screw over, and you know how he was the only one who you know believed it, and even the FBI agent who you know was there helping him, you know at the van at the vampire's house, you know was like I'm not saying anything, I don't want my job, you know, gotten rid of and or anything, and it was just like oh the total screw over. Then watching um, Night Stalker and loving that, and it was like. Oscar Goldman, oh my God, you know, that's thing. And, you know, so it was, for me, it was the opposite. I was introduced to the TV series more first, you know, when I was younger and it had more of an impression on me than the two movies did.
2: That was, that was one of the things about that. It, it, the Night Stalker was huge in the, like around 73. Then the TV series came on. It was on for a little while. Then it went away and then it got a second breath of life. This is what Mark was talking about that things don't, this hasn't jumped, but there was a little bit of it for a little while because of the CBS late movie, picking up younger people that were, you know, staying up now and watching the 1130 at night CBS late movie. They were, they were picking some, they normally had used to do just monster movies on Friday night for years. And then they started putting TV shows in there and it kind of reinvigorated it for a while. And then it seemed like it kind of went dormant again, you know, uh, books and Blu-rays and stuff are helping a little bit now, but you know, I don't know how much.
4: Yeah, I um I, I can tell you that my history with it is 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 very sparse. I mean I I didn't see uh I didn't see the series until we had recorded our episode on it in twenty fifteen. Really? Um yeah, I hadn't seen um, any of the series and I still at that point didn't see either of the the, the movies um because they were not easily accessible um and they're still not tremendously easily accessible like you can't just stream this show you can't just stream these movies um you can find them um i think mike found his copy on someone had yeah. put it up on youtube there's, um, there's some
1: really good high quality copies of both movies up on youtube Yeah, we spent the weekend watching um i know that i know that
4: Kino Loeber has done a great job of, uh, putting together the series and, and the, the TV movies separately. Each movie is separate and uh, the TV series. So if you get the series, you don't get the two original movies. Uh, the movies are separate. They're all available on Blu-ray now. But even that, I think they're out of print, um, from Kino Loeber. So you, I don't even, even know if you can get them that way. At least I looked into it anyway. I was able to get them in order for this show that was one of the reasons why i wanted to do this show because sometimes this series sometimes this podcast did takes what i watch um so because <laughs> i don't have time to watch just anything else because i'm too busy watching stuff for the podcast so i'm like let's do cold check again because uh i have i'd like i need an excuse to to finally and see money. these two movies <laughs> night stalker and right and night strangler so yeah. um i was able yeah. to find a uh a dvd that came out i think a few years ago. It's a double feature. It's like a one of those diss you flip over or whatever. Um, yeah. but it's still good quality. Um has interview uh on both with uh, Dan Curtis and that's cool. Um and so uh so yeah I hadn't seen the original movies until just this past week. Um and and I gotta tell you, I think the I I, I enjoyed the movies um together, uh, both of them uh I think more than I enjoyed the series. And we can talk I guess a little bit more about that. But um uh and I like the series too. Um it didn't like completely blow me away, but the ther- I think the movies hold up pretty well, especially that first one. Um and I really like the the you know <laughs> spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen any of this stuff, but um uh the thing that really like that really like just sort of stunned me was that like Kojic just straight up murders a vampire at the end. Like I mean I mean, we know he's a vampire, but it, I mean, to everybody else, it's just like he just straight homicide. up homicide.
2: Like, yeah, straight he, just,
4: he just straight up like takes matters into his own hands. And I don't know. I've always, I always thought that he was more of a like, you know, sort of reporter than an, an action guy. And that really like surprised me. Um, uh, and I thought it was a pretty cool, cool, bold move. And, uh, but, the way it's shot and everything like that is just really well done. It holds up. I think, I think people, if they haven't seen it, uh, they should check it out for sure. Um, uh, because I do think it's as, as Mark pointed out, it's one of those, like, you know, I I think you said it, it's like, it's one of those, uh, it was really popular at the time. Um, but it's not as well known now. Um, and, uh, and it does have its select fans for sure. I was at a small little convention just this weekend, and uh, the guy I was sharing a table with, um, Bobby Nash, contributed to the 50th anniversary collection that Moonstone just came out with. And uh, uh, if and we ran across a a guy who really loves Kolchek, and you know the, the 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 collection is not inexpensive. <laughs> the hardcover collection that Bobby had is fifty bucks. Whoa! Uh, that guy didn't even that guy didn't even blink an eye like colcheck stuff give it to me like whatever you have like that's colcheck like give it to me like i you know i'll pay whatever for it and and i think it's because that yeah this is something that those people who know colcheck and like colcheck there's so little of it out there that they'll grab onto anything and 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 this the 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 anthology is good quality don't get me wrong i'm not saying right, right, that it's sure. not so but it's just uh you know i think Right before we started recording, we talked about the sort of licensing thing, and I want to get into that in a little bit. But before we do that, let's go back to, like, why, like, what is it about this, the, the movie, the, the two movies, the concept, the series, et cetera, et cetera, that you feel is so influential? Why did it make an impact, even though it didn't at the time last that long? Like it only lasted one season, obviously, didn't have the ratings to go for more. So the 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 sort of honeymoon that you know the the movie was so successful, what what happened to cause it to sort of like die out and then but but yet make an impact to those people who who cared about it? Um Mark D, we'll start with you. What do you what do you feel about, about that?
3: You know, it's a deceptively sly movie. The first one is is really, really clever because you know, one of the things about the that movie is that uh, we were talking about how if it just was horror fans who were watching it it, it, the rating would not have been you know a a 33.4 there's just not enough horror fans to get you that kind of a rating Mm -hmm. so one of the things about the movie was it has a lot of points of entry what i mean by that is if you look at that movie and you sort of of dissect it it kind of now, now jeff rice who wrote the original novel that it was based on jeff consciously said he was trying to do two things he was basically trying if because if you look at it the one thing that it definitely is is a horror story it's a vampire story but it's if it is a vampire story and, and it is it's a very traditional one well, you know what what is the basic premise of night stalker a vampire invading a major city that's dracula you
5: know yeah. that's
3: the, the concept is basically dracula the interesting thing about Night Stalker is not the concept, but the setting. Is the fact that it's set in Las Vegas, baby. They set it in the most American of towns. It's the first vampire story that actually, in in a way, kind of makes sense. It's like, why does Dracula go to London when you know he, he's 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 got all of Europe right there? Why does he risk this this this? Shit? Why does he go all this way? <laughs> but this vampire goes to a city that's on his time schedule. That's you know, it's up all night. It's it's a feeding frenzy for a vampire, you know. It's a smorgasbord. It's fantastic. You know, of course a vampire. There's a lot of drifters come and go, a lot of nameless people. What a what a great idea. You know, the, the vampire story had already been set in American soil, Son of Dracula in the the early 40s from Universal and uh Matheson's I Am Legend, you know. So we've already had the vampire story very firmly set in American soil, but not in Las Vegas. So You've got a very traditional story. Now, now Jeff said he was trying to blend the old-fashioned newspaper comedy, like the front page, right? Um, you know, the, the kind of newspaper comedy in the 1930s. It always had Clark Gable and Frederick March. You know, the the kind of always had a wisecrack for every occasion. The the hard-driving reporter, and what was that reporter always doing? He was always fighting with his editor, in in those movies. Always <laughs> right. fiery, but uh, screaming matches. What's at the heart of Night Stalker? You know, both book and movie. So Jeff is very consciously trying to take the front page and Dracula and sort of mix those two. And those two uh, are, are are very disparate influences. And, and, and the thing about that is, is that, you know, you, you look at it and then they add a third. And the third level is almost, and this is especially true with the movie, they add almost a film noir quality to it. Because this w- film works as a detective story, as a yeah. mystery story, the mystery just happens to be supernatural. The killer just happens to be a vampire, but Kolchak's a reporter, but he operates like your classic Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett detective. Throughout this, you know, it's it's wonderful because in the the you have Darren McGavin who had played. Mike Hammer in the 50s in the Mickey Spillane series. And then he played in The Outsider. He, he was known for playing this kind of hard-boiled detective type. So you have three very different influences. This movie works as a mystery, hard, hard-boiled mystery. It works in film noir type of thing. It works as a sort of cinema verite vampire story. And it also works as a newspaper comedy. Folks, those three things should not go together. There's no way <laughs> the hell those things should work when you put those things together. And yet but it's seamless. But they it, do. It, it works awesome. It's absolutely seamless. And part of the reason is because Darren McGavin is perfect for all three of those. Mm-hmm. Put Darren yes. McGavin into all three of those and he hits all of those notes just perfectly. So we buy him as the detective, we buy him in the newspaper comedy and we buy him as a supernatural sleuth. And that's it. So a lot of it is McGavin's performance, but a lot of it's in the writing and the fact that they, you know, and that's why this movie did as well as it did is because, you know, you could be a mystery fan and love this. You could be a horror fan and love this. And you could love the old newspaper comedies and love this. What amazing, you know. So, so for all of those reasons, it has that immense impact right away, you know, and then it has the impact. On the people it's supposed to impact. People like Chris, little Chris Carter, who is watching this, who's mm-hmm. going to tell anybody who asks him, I created the X-Files because the Night Stalker scared the piss out of me when I was a kid. That's the oh, reason sure. he did it. you know. Um, and everybody else is going to say, I did this. I went on to do that because I was influenced by this amazing TV movie that, that they was watching. So whether people remembered it or not, how much the CBS Late Night brought it back or not, it's really almost of secondary importance, because without Night Stalker, without Kolshak, you a whole lot of things disappear later on, because a whole lot of people aren't influenced and don't go on to create some of the most influential and important horror on film and television in the 90s and beyond. So you know, that's my short answer to that. Not so short.
4: No, absolutely no no Dude, at, that was awful awesome. that was really good <laughs> we're all just sitting here like yeah huh? yeah <laughs> uh, yeah we'll, we'll let you take a breath now uh, uh mark, i don't uh, need my... to <laughs> <laughs> uh mark Maddox, what about you what do you how do you feel about that as well like uh like what is well the... i
2: remember one time i was i was talking to somebody and said uh um uh, to me it felt like I said well this is the first time that a that a vampires in the modern world and I had people shaking their fingers at me going no no there was dracula 57 or whatever there was uh this and somebody goes and even uh dark shadows takes place in the in modern times i was like yeah but there's no tv set they they hardly have phones i mean they're isolated it's still it's still a gothic it's still almost uh, the castles and the you know, the only thing they've got cars, okay, and they drive around the town wondering what, what's going on. But this was like shockingly modern. Uh, 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 um, you know, uh, girls uh, uh, killing dancing girls that were going off work. Um, uh, the cops uh, with the those riot helmets that they used to have, those motorcycle helmets that they used to have, getting into a fight with a guy that's super strong around a swimming pool and shooting him and and him being unstoppable um you know bizarre things like finding the body of the woman who was thrown 30 yards into soft cement mm-hmm. that had just been placed and saying how did how how could that possibly be i mean there was all this sort of bright light of day sort of thing about the placement and yet you've got a a, a very feral vampire too he's not Bela lagosi he's not uh He's not a talker, you know. Right. <laughs> he's basically a hisser. And Barry Otwater, who I've I've always loved in you know, Star Trek: Outer Limits, you know all these other things he he's done. While he didn't have any lines in this film, he was darn sure intense. And I do love that fight at the end. They're going at it, and and at the end, you know, you were talking about the fact that he basically commits homicide. He kills him. But what I like is when the the cops kick open the door. Darren McGavin just pounded the stake in his chest, and he's got this look on his face of like. Yeah. Yeah, I did it. Yeah. I mean, he's not even going to apologize for it. (laughs) But uh, when you go from that and then the second film directed by Dan Curtis, when you get to that to the TV series, you can almost see the beginning of the death of it because a monster of the week, a new monster, one hour, and the limited thinking that I think people had back then on monster story arcs weren't in yet. That was still a ways to go. I mean, you could have had a, a, an entire show just about him chasing vampires, but they'd have the energy monster and they'd have the werewolf, ugh, the werewolf. They had the headless motorcycle guy, which I actually kind of like the story of the episode. It's just the execution of the motorcycle guy is just, just horrible. Uh But there's a kind of a monster of the week. And I think, and Mark knows probably a lot more about this than any of us, but I remember there was some interview with the uh, Darren McGavin or whatever. And he's standing on and waiting in front of them to do a setup, flipping his hat around, talking to some reporter and going, this isn't going to last. Like he was already well aware of this. Here's the new monster this week, plug it in and let's have the, basically let's repeat the film. Nobody believes me, but I'm going to do something about it. And it seemed like he was very uh, disillusioned. Uh, not, I don't know how long it was into the show, how long it had been going on. I mean, did it start from the very beginning? Was it at the very beginning that he said this isn't going to work, or was he after like so many episodes or something?
3: You know, the 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 all the things that went wrong with the series would fill a book. You know, right? <laughs> Maybe I'll write it one day. Uh, the uh, really, the seeds of the destruction were sown right from the beginning, and under the under, misunderstanding that Darren agreed to do the series only if he could be the executive producer. And mm-hmm. Universal promised that he would be the executive producer and then immediately broke the promise and put their own producer in charge of the, the series, first Paul Playton and then Cy Schermack, uh both Universal veteran producers. Darren did not get along with either of them. And Darren mm-hmm. acted like the executive producer on the show, even though he wasn't. But he had every right to, to to do that because they had promised him it. Right. So he was acting as the executive producer on set. Paul and Cy were running things in the writer's room in the production offices. And so you had a series which was being produced under a split camp right from the start. It was war. It was open warfare right from the beginning. It was doomed. It was, yeah. you know, Darren wasn't having any fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah. When Darren said it ain't going to last that was probably wish fulfillment more than it was anything else. <laughs> would You know, I, it, and fans of the series don't want to hear this, you know, now I love the series. Believe me. If, if yeah, me anything too. that's got Darren McGavin in that seersucker suit is to me is worth watching because sure. Darren is going to make any scene sit up and dance because he's playing Carl Kolschak. So yeah. I'm there. But the truth is that Darren didn't like the series. And that's what fans really? want to hear. Oh, no, he didn't like it. Period. And, you know, he told me flat out. He And he said, you know, because people would come up to him all the time, you know, Cole, Cole, shack, Cole, shack, And, you know, Darren loved the original movie. Darren okay. didn't even love the second movie. Mm. Darren thought the second movie was so imitative of the first.
1: I could see that. that I really he didn't
3: could. like the fact that it followed the same story steps, you know, And so Darren basically said, you know, it was all well and good, but it's basically the same movie all over again. It's pretty harsh, you know, but Darren loved the original movie. He loved everything about the original movie. And the original movie was kind of charmed. Everything went right on that movie. Everything went went just perfectly right. The, The shoot was a happy shoot. Everybody got along. Darren knew practically everybody he worked with on it, including the director, John Llewellyn Moxie. He'd worked with everybody. He'd worked with Cy Oakland before. He'd worked with Ralph Meeker. He'd worked with all of the, the only person he pre, he hadn't worked before it was Carol Lindley was about the only person. He, huh. So he was arriving at a very happy set with a lot of old friends. The shoot in Las Vegas went great. The shoot back at the Goldwyn studios went great. Everything about that, that, that experience was a happy experience. You know? mm-hmm. And then things started to go off the rails in Night Strangler because Dan Curtis did not direct the first movie. And the reason he didn't direct the first movie was because he was not on board as the original producer. Everybody forgets that. Everett Chambers was the original producer. And Everett Chambers made all the early decisions on, on, on Night Stalker, including, including a lot of casting decisions. And uh, then Peter Falk was Everett Chambers' good friend. He lured him away to do Columbo. They let him go. And then they thought, who are we going to get to produce it? Oh, how about the guy who did Dark Shadows? Right,
4: right. Yeah, Dan so talks Barry, about that in the interview I saw, yeah.
3: Barry Diller was running ABC Circle Films at the time. He called Dan. Dan turned him down the first time. <laughs> Dan basically really? said, Dan had just directed the, the Dark Shadows movie. And yeah. Dan, so Dan said, I'm a big time director now. I don't got to go back, you know, if I can't direct it, you know, but Barry Diller convinced him to do it. So he comes in as the producer. John Llewellyn Moxie's already hired as the director, so he can't direct and is driving him nuts. You know, he's behind Moxie the whole time, grumbling under his breath to McGavin. Can you believe how Moxie's got this thing set up right here? Can you believe this? So he can't wait to direct the next movie. And the problem is on the and Dan and Darren got along great on the first movie. They were like two yapping yard dogs on the second movie. They did Mm -hmm. not get along. And it came almost to blows at the end of the second movie. And the friendship ended on the end of the second. There was supposed to be a third movie, which was written. There was going to be a third TV movie called The Night Killers, The Night Stalker, The Night Strangler, The Night Killers, written by Richard Matheson and, and William F. Nolan. It was set in Hawaii, and um,
4: it's odd that do it with uh, robots, right?
3: That's right. R- 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 you know, uh, humanoid androids that had, were replacing politicians. It had, had <laughs> alien. It was not only androids but aliens as well. It's odd that you know Chris Carter said you know that the, the, the X Files was so influenced by Night because this was the most X Files of all stories never, <laughs> never done you know so it was going to air in January of seventy four but by then Dan and Darren weren't talking to each other mm. and the talk had shifted to doing a series you know so now they do the series Dan's not involved Richard Matheson's not involved and if you look at the writing credits on the, on the Night Stalker series, you know, and horror is very tough to do. It is one of the it is one of the most difficult forms to 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 do well, and almost nobody associated with the Night Stalker series had one iota of horror experience. It was a horror series done by rank amateurs in the field. Mm. About the only person who would had any writing experience, the only uh, script that was written by a true horror veteran was Horror in the Heights. And it was written by Jimmy Sangster, who'd done all the Hammer horror films. Hammer films, yeah. And, right. and and that's considered the best series, the best episode of the series. Guess why? You know, it's got the best idea behind it. And it's because it came from the one true horror mind who was writing for, for the series. A lot of young writers were writing for the series getting their first taste of stuff because nobody else wanted to work for the show. It was, a, a, it was treated as a poor stepchild on a universal lot you know the top end was Columbo. everybody wanted to work for colombo then you worked your way down mcmillan you know uh, mcleod and you work your way down and they're at the bottom of the barrel in the universal <laughs> night stalker and the good and as you know bob zemeckis who uh and his writing partner bob gale who wrote the episode that marks already to chopper the one about the headless bicycle rider that was their first sale that was their very first sale bob zemeckis was going to go on you know roger mm-hmm. rabbit and castaway and uh
2: back to the future yes yeah, so a bunch of stuff yeah. you
3: know and and he and he did it consciously he looked around and said it's impossible to sell to colombo everybody's trying to write for that nobody's trying to write for this i'll sell something to to night stalker so yeah. david chase was the story editor going on to do the sopranos michael Kozel was one of the writers goes on to co-create hill street blues you've got a lot of wonderful young writers working on this this, this show and they thought they were writing a comedy they thought yeah. they didn't know anything about horror so they 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 structured the whole thing like a a sitcom you know with tony as sort of the angry long suffering father and and <laughs> and carl as the uh you know the wayward son who's always getting in trouble and ron is the brother who's always tattling on the other brother who is and miss emily as the Me. kindly aunt they structured Ron, is the,
2: Ron is the Eddie Haskell of right, the show.
3: Right. <laughs> so, so they structured the whole thing with a family of regulars that you would find not in a horror series, but in a in a comedy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Half
3: yeah. hour comedy. So it it's it's a it, it out of that came a real gorilla mentality that really gives the show a lot of charm. You know, it's yeah. erratic as hell. The show there's the series is just up and down, erratic as can be but out of that came some very, very good episodes. If, yeah. if you know the, the five or six best episodes of night stalker are excellent. You know, Vanished mm-hmm. moss yeah. murders is a terrific episode, you know, car in the Heights. You, you know, there, there, there's a handful of episodes there that are, that, that are just gems.
4: And I think, I think you also said earlier, and and I don't think you'll get any argument from anybody here. Um, is that I think the, and Mike, you said it as well, is that the, the, it, the, at the center of, the love for Kolchak is Darren McGavin. Like without Darren McGavin it all, like just, it doesn't, doesn't work. Like you can, you can watch Darren read a phone book really. um, And he'll, and he'll do it because he's capable of doing, like you said, comedy. He's definitely, he's definitely like the intensity, like, like all of that stuff he can bring to it and, and make it uh, grounded. Uh, He can make it grounded. He can make it real. uh, He, and, and he's fun to watch. And, and, I definitely think that that's a big, a big proponent of like, if people want to watch the show, like, even some of the episodes, episodes, like you said, might not be as good as others, but Darren's always like there. He's never phoning it in. Uh, even though he might be unhappy on the set, um, you know, or with, with what's going on behind the scenes, I don't think it ever really shows on screen. Um, and, and
3: when Darren and Simon right. tee it up. Yes, that is also yeah. the secondarily, you know the ma- another match made in heaven there. You know, Car- Darren and Carl is one match made in heaven, but the other is Darren and Cy. They, go, yeah. you know, wow.
4: <laughs> yeah, and and when when he does get the chance to work with other, whether because I did like the way that both movies pull in uh, great character actors uh, from uh, from the, like the golden age of Hollywood, as well as like, you know, people that would go on to do other things. Um, but you can always tell when Darren has someone fun to work with, uh, in a scene, those are always fun to watch as well. Uh, Mike, I want to get, I want to ask you like, um, what do you think is a lasting impression of, uh, the show or the series? Or I know that, you know, when we were talking about the second movie, But the second movie does sort of, you know, and and, in the interview that I saw on the on the DVD, Dan Curtis said the point that they make the second movie was to repeat almost exactly the first movie, which, you know, I think for me, the second movie does kind of fail a little bit in the first two acts because it is repetitive. But the third part of that, the third act that that takes place all in Underground Seattle, I thought was fascinating.
1: Yeah. Fair quotes. Underground. Well, yeah
4: absolutely but i mean it's still like i mean but but i mean underground seattle is a real thing and oh very much and the fact that i've never seen it used like that before
1: no it's interesting no they it was neat because we were talking about it before we went on the air one of the first things went the very first time i went to seattle i went and did the underground tour because of the night stalker and it was interesting to be able to watch that and see and go through and, you know, what they told you, you know, a lot of the stuff they told you in this movie that, you know, about the floods and then they, so, and then the fire was like the final straw. They decided to build up one level and they literally took storefronts and just built the street over it and everything. A lot of the people used them as the old storefronts as the basements and, items like that and it was really cool to see that and there's the thing with this movie was when he the third act of this when he goes into the underground and it's huge buildings and it's carriages and all this stuff left down there it's not there you know at least that we can see so as we like to say but well, was, would there have
2: been any truth to it at the time i mean that was quite a few years before you went would there have been i'm not talking about the height you already said it ain't that tall but could there have been some of this other stuff this wagon stuff back in 70 72 73 something like that could there have been or
1: no cuz no. literally you know everything that was you know possible to take up You know, when they built over, it wasn't like it was rushed to build over and everything. They did it over time. And I will
4: say if it it wasn't actually filmed there, that's a hell of a set for a low movie like that. (laughs) I I
2: really I didn't know that. I mean, I, I, I wasn't sure I'd heard of underground Atlanta. I'd heard of underground Seattle. I didn't know what that was, but it's still it's my favorite thing in the film is that spooky
1: It was was amazing. It was a great, great shot. And a young Mike Faber, who was very disappointed leaving that tour when he didn't (laughs) see those tall buildings and everything underground. Well,
3: um, you know, the idea for that came from Richard Matheson, who had taken the tour. He had been in Seattle with his family on vacation. And they were they just beat their brains out for a second idea for the for for another movie. And uh, they were just kicking around different ideas left and right. It was tough. It was really tough. Well, How do we come up with something which is as good as the original movie? Because the original movie was such a great original idea. And Richard had taken that tour and it, he'd squirreled it away in the back of his head. But he said right away when he told me about how he got the idea for setting this in the Seattle Underground, he mm-hmm. immediately said, it's not as extensive. You know, now he took no. the tour very early, I think almost as about when it started. And mm-hmm. he, he, he originally he copped out and said, you know, it once you get into the underground imagination takes over oh, of course mm-hmm. it does so they actually yeah. did shoot the, the the some scenes in pioneer square and in the uh the 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 little waiting room where everybody sits to, to go on the tour oh yeah they shot those scenes there and once the tour read. starts they were back at the Goldwyn studios and the bradbury building which was what the the combination of those two were the the seattle underground as you see it in the in the movie so, oh yeah, you know.
1: and it was—it was pretty amazing, you know how correct they got a lot of the, you know, the jargon, the towns, and everything in it. Because a lot of times when they do, oh, we're going to Seattle, and they th- make up names of places or they show locations, and they did the Space Needle, they did the the waterfront with the houseboats, they did, you know, Pioneer Square and everything, and it was really awesome to see.
3: You know, one of the things about Night Strangler that people don't kind of realize is Night Strangler is, contains a lot of odds and ends and bits and pieces that they were cut from the first movie.
4: Mm, really? I can see
3: that. So their story steps in Night Strangler, because, you know, the, the original movie is tight, tight, tight. I mean, it's it, it was for, made for a 90 minute time slot. So it only runs about 70 minutes. Yeah. So that that movie moves like a house of fire. And yeah. consequently, they had to cut. All these different story steps that were in Jeff's original book and in Richard's original script. Like, you know, the idea of bringing in a poli- uh, uh, hiring a student to do a police sketch of the, um, uh, of the suspect. That's mm-hmm. in Night Stalker. That's in the, that's in the, that's in the, 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 the book and, and that was going to be in the movie. Um, the idea of the, uh, the, the character they call, uh, Professor Crabwell that Margaret Hamilton plays that character is Kirsten Helms is works at the University of Las Vegas in the book and you know they there was no room for her so right. there there's, there's dialogue there's scenes and there's all these little items that really were meant for nightstalker that ends up that end up at night strangler hmm. cuz they finally got a chance to use it
4: is the uh, is the original book is that is that worth a read
3: i think so I, okay. I think Jeff did a great. Kolchak's different in the original book. Jeff wrote the book and finished it uh, in October of 1970. So you were saying, what's the 50th anniversary? Is it when Jeff finished the book? Well, then mm-hmm. it's not. You know, it right. would have been 2020. Would have been the. Is it the first movie? Well, that's 1972. So 2022 would be. The, is it the series? Well, when you, you, know, when <laughs> you say the when you
1: say the book, that's the Kolchak tapes, right?
3: Kolchak papers was the original papers. Night. That's right. The, the, the Kolchak tapes was going to be. The original title of the movie, you know, oh, they, they they then they finally settled on Night Stalker, um, but the book is yeah I I think the book is excellent I really do and mm-hmm. but Kolchak's different he's a, a little bit heavy set he's um he's of Romanian uh, Darren at some point decided that Kolchak was Polish and made a couple references to it along the line in Jeff's book it's very clear that that Kolshak is Romanian um so there are differences he doesn't dress in the seersucker suit that was darren's choice darren came up with the seersucker suit because that's Mm. how he remembered reporters dressing in new york (laughs) in the summer when he was an actor in new york that was sort of the summer outfit for reporters so
4: he's uh, got everything but the uh the sort of press yeah sticker on his uh on his hat
3: right (laughs) yeah yeah in his book he dressed kolshak uh, more like a reporter he knew reporters like in chinos and bush jackets and things you know because reporters like pockets they like having pockets all over the place you know so
1: pull all their notes out of yeah, you know, he, yeah.
3: so so he he, he put Kolchak in sort of the how a las vegas reporter would have dressed you know richard's script richard for some reason thought it would be fun to make him uh, even more idiosyncratic and he put kolshak in bermuda shorts and hawaiian shirts and you know and darren read that and said now no reporter dresses like that Mm -mm. and then he just he remembered what did reporters wear in the summer in new york and you know to his idea this guy is wearing the same suit that he wore when he got fired from the new york newspaper and had to go to las vegas that he hasn't changed his wardrobe in all these years the suit was See, that, that, that's an actor thinking actors always invent backstories for their characters and they can't get rid of unless they get the right hat and the right till they're, they're perfect. They got to feel it from within. That's what Darren did. So sure. a great deal of, you know, a lot of what's Kolshak is in Jeff's book. A lot of the DNA is in Jeff's book. And and Jeff based the character of Kolshak on a reporter named Alan Jarlson, who had worked for the Las Vegas Sun. With Jeff and on himself. Jeff sort of drew on himself and Alan Jarlson to create the character. And then Darren comes along and imprints his own personality and his own choices on it. And that's where it really just takes off. That's that's just that's magic time. You know, there are these moments where you you have the the, 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 the right actor meeting the right role. Yeah. You know? And it's just you can't beat that. You just cannot beat that combination. When that chemistry works, look out.
4: Did uh, and, and I know that you've had extensive interviews with him, Mark. Did uh, uh, did Darren appreciate the fondness for the character in the series? Oh, or yeah, he uh, was as time? fond.
3: He was as fond of the character as anybody, and so was his wife, Kathy Brown. Kathy he was one of the first to say that um, that the character of of Carl Kolchak probably had more of Darren in it than almost any other role he'd ever played. And he brought so much of himself to that role. So she was very fond of the character. He was very fond of the character. And he was very appreciative of fans being a fan of the character. He couldn't understand why anybody who loved the first movie also would love the series. (laughs) That was Darren's argument. Darren's (laughs) argument was like... How can you like something that is that good? You know, (laughs) 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 it's like, you know, and and he didn't see because he's, you know, Kolshak uh, operates in different universes. Jeff's book is one universe. Mm -hmm. They're all connected, but they're not quite the same. And then the movie is different from Jeff's book. The second movie is different from the first movie. And the series (laughs) is different from everything else that was before it. They all share a lot of things. They all share Darren. They all share this incredible quest for the truth. But the feeling of the series is different from the feeling of the movie. There's there's an entirely different feel to it.
2: I, I was wondering, would I don't know what what years you were talking to Mr. McGavin did would would there be a thing where he was watching television a decade after cold Jack or 15 or 20 years after cold Jack and go the way television is formatted. Now the night stalker could have worked with story arcs or, 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 you know, the, the, the way we're allowed to be a little more intense, nothing like that. It was just, because to me, I always thought the monster of the week thing is kind of what killed it. And then they finally, about the time they got into Punch from chips being uh you know bringing back a mummy i was just sort of like or or, or richard kyle strangling people in an indian outfit that's sort of like eh, we're kind of running out of monsters here see,
0: I, I don't
3: know I, there, there's a there's a lot of debate and the, well there should be and there's no good answer to it but certainly right. the monster of the week was going to turn on itself at some point but largely because of the way they were doing it see i'm a yeah. proponent that anything can work as long as it's done well and done right mm-hmm. by the right people. Yes. You know, I mean, yeah. most Good fantasy point. ideas, if you say them out loud, sound silly. Yeah. If you break any fantasy idea down to, okay, we're going to do this thing where a scientist has an island and he's cloned dinosaurs, you know, and he's got dinosaurs and we're going to pick you, know, you to think like, well, that sounds stupid. That's not like, you know, you can't. like, well, no, it's Jurassic park. It's going to be great. Believe me. It's how you execute. It's how you, it's, it's, it's what you do with, with, with the idea you can't do monster of the week unless you have people of the the caliber of Richard Matheson and Robert Block and people like that doing the stories. So, but also, you know, another problem with, was, was the time Mark, as you correctly said, the one thing this series did not do was the first thing any horror series would do today. They did not think out a mythology to support the series. Right. Right. And there's always this kind of question of, you know, okay, this guy, Encountered a vampire in Las Vegas. Okay, I'll buy that. You know, then he 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 gets a, a killing alchemist in Seattle. Now this is a little—I mean—odd that he would just you know go to one more city and find one more. Then in Chicago, he's it—it's it, a vampire, it's a zombie, it's an alien, it's a, you know every week it's something. You know, after a while it becomes we've got to stop meeting like this.
2: Yeah. <laughs> after a while, it's
3: you know. Uh, it's
2: still better than Jaws four.
3: But but you ask yourself, you, you ask yourself the question. Remember, Dan Curtis's two major franchises in some ways are Night Stalker and Dark Shadows. Right. And neither one answered the question of, why does this keep happening? <laughs> what is it about this town in Maine <laughs> that attracts all of these things? And what is yeah. it about this guy that attracts all these things? Now, that's the first thing you would do today. I mean, if you do Buffy, it's over a hell mouth. Okay, okay, right. that's fine. You know, if it's X-Files, there's a, a, a conspiracy. Okay, all right. Grim, you know, his job, supernatural. It's their job to go out and hunt this stuff. Right. But they never came up with a supporting story of any kind to explain what it was about Kolshak that seemed to just attract every the supernatural ones, yeah. element yeah. that was out there no matter where he was.
2: Yeah. So, in a, yeah. In a way, it ended up becoming a repeat of that first movie over and over and over and over. That's, yeah. that's what it right. Was, yeah. Yeah.
3: So, I mean, you know, and that's I mean, horror puts enough strain on the
2: suspension of disbelief,
3: you know, yeah. you, you horror because horror is always about unreal things. Right. So right there, it's asking you to buy into things which are, you know, well, we're going to buy that there's something that sleeps in a coffin all day, gets up at night and goes and drinks blood. You know, all right. You know. I'll go along with you. You know, right. the, the problem with this is when it happens over and over and over again, you just, you just have to hit the reset button and say, yeah,
4: yeah. you know, and, and it's one of the reasons why a lot of movies in general, horror movies, fantasy movies, whatever you want to call it, have problems because the sequels get more watered down and worse and worse and worse as they go mm-hmm. on. So, and that's yeah. what, you know, that's what you're seeing here. Um, man, I wish we didn't have to uh, wrap it up so soon, but um, um I just wanna get uh as we as we tail out of this, uh just real quick, I wanna get your takes on on whether or not you feel like this is just a a thing that happened that has a huge influence, or is it a property, is it a franchise that's worth revisiting in some way, rebooting, whatever they want to call it, the kids today. Um uh Mike, I'm gonna start with you. You're just shaking your head. I wanna to- you're like, they no did Darren re- McGavin, re- no Colchak.
1: They, they did reboot it, and it was horrible. Right. It was, you know, they did it, what, the mid last decade of, you know, the middle of last decade. And they tried doing adding more backstory to Colchak, and it it was just not good. And it was it had no resemblance other than the name Carl yeah. Colchak. Yeah,
4: start. uh,
3: There's a reason for
4: that. Stuart Stuart Townsend.
3: But it's not what you think it is. And if I go ahead and revamp the uh, the Night Stalker companion and uh, I will tell the story because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of two and two equaling five when people talk about that remake. And what went wrong is not what you think went wrong.
2: OK, I think interesting. I think right. interesting.
4: I, think it, I think it might be possible if they were if the creative team was to set it at the same time frame instead of trying to update it. But the problem is that they'd have to find somebody as charismatic and as capable as Darren McGavin, um, and that would not be easy. So I don't I don't think the premise Mark alone. Ruffalo. Yeah. What's that? Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Even I don't know. Who is, he's always
3: talked about for Colombo. Everybody always he's... says there's <laughs> another role well, there that you people go. argue about whether they should ever redo, you know, that character. Somebody
2: who writes the, who, who does do the drama and the comedy almost at the same time. And once again, you get somebody with McGavin's abilities. There's, yeah. like like Mark says, you find the right person, get the person with that talent, you know. But anyway. But, right.
4: So is it something that you guys would like to see or not? Just leave alone. Leave it
1: alone. Oh, leave okay. it alone.
2: Oh, I'll, I'll shock everybody. I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to it either. Just g- get the damn thing right. Right. That's yeah. all I'm asking. Not, I'll,
3: I'll tell you the reason I'm not opposed to it. You know, and I say the same thing about Columbo because I get this question on the Columbo side of all well, because one of my books is about Columbo. Right, right. So I get I get this question all the time. And I say, you know, and people say, no, 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 no. Peter Fox the only person who could ever play Columbo. Well, he's the only person I ever could, you know. And I say, well, look, do you think Colombo's a great character? It's, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think he's one of the great mystery characters of all time, one of the great detective characters of all time. Well, if that's the case, then he's Hamlet. And in that case, he's open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. If he's not a great character, what the hell are you afraid of? Go ahead and let it be reinterpreted. We've heard this argument for more than a hundred years on Sherlock Holmes. We yeah. let who you don't know was the first person who played Sherlock Holmes. On stage, with Conan Doyle's permission, and for, for decades, people said, William Gillette's the only person who can play Sherlock Holmes. Nobody else could ever play it, until Basil Rathbone came along. And then it was, well, Basil Rathbone's the only person who can play it, until Jeremy Brett came along, or Peter Cushing, or Benedict Cumberbatch, or Robert Downey Jr. Look at all of the great Holmes interpretations
2: we've had. I like mm-hmm. Frank Langella the Gillette one they did on HBO. Yep. I thought that was a lot of fun.
3: Dracula's <laughs> been up for reinterpretation.
2: You know, uh,
3: Holmes has been up for reinterpretation. You know, all the great characters. I think, yes, uh, you know, I'm not saying it would work. I'm just saying I'm not opposed to, to trying. You would have to have the right team, the right actor, and you sure, have to sure. have somebody who would not remind you of Darren McGavin, but had all of the qualities of Kolshak. Somebody mm. who was a young Brian Cranston could have done it. A young mm-hmm. Brian Cranston yeah, who could play. That's, played that's Stark, a very good
2: one. Who could yes. who
3: could play smart ass, who looks like he's had some life and had his, his his face kicked in a couple times by life. Somebody like that could have done that. You could have gotten an actor who doesn't remind you of it, a young Jeff Goldblum, who can do smart ass forever, has genre credits. You'd buy him as a reporter, look at him in Jurassic Park, he's got a sense of humor, he can do action. He could have been a different kind of Col Shack, but it is I'm not. I'm not opposed to people giving it a try, because if he is a great, if it is a great part, if it is a great role, the odds of all those things coming together are great. The odds of having the right team behind him that knows what, like a few years ago, Johnny Depp wanted to do it, and had had a deal at Disney. He was going to play Kolchak. Edgar Wright was going to direct. Oh, and you know they had this whole team. They, I think they actually had a script written. Hmm. And, you know, the problem was I, you know, I, 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 I didn't see Johnny Depp in the part, you know, no. I, I did not in any way, shape or form see Johnny Depp. Yeah, sometimes he gets in his own way, yeah, that are necessary to play Kolschak. You yeah. know, you can't play Kolschak like, you know, uh, like Willy Wonka, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a very blue collar <laughs> No, yeah,
4: no. And, and,
3: and Johnny Depp is anything but blue collar, you know. Yes. Type. So. But but I, yeah, I I can think of a lot of actors younger who are now probably too old to play. Remember, Darren was forty nine when he played the part.
4: Yeah, yeah, was, I know. I, was that was harder. that that made that was very reminded was of that. When I was it. I was like, I was like, man, he's. He's uh, yeah, he's playing younger. He
3: he's played, playing about four or five. He, he younger uh, a lot. You buy, he you buy younger. You buy Carlos in his, early forties. In in the
2: in first movie, I was watching a live science fiction television show that they had on YouTube. I don't know it was science fiction theater or one of those. And Darren McGavin is the star of that episode. I guess it's live, back in the early to mid fifties, and he's bald. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was bald back then, so you knew that he was coming into Colchak with his, with his rug. He was coming in and, <laughs> and he had to be quite a bit older. I was like really surprised that far back that he looked as old as he did in the, in the early fifties. Yeah. But, actually, uh, I, I mean, it. I
4: thought, I, th- I thought he, I thought he looked, uh, you know, I, I was surprised actually yeah. to find out that he like, I'm like, wow, I'm older than he was when he played Colchak. Mm-hmm. I thought movies, he was much older. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but. In, but healthy. Uh,
2: he always seemed healthy. He was. Always I mean, he running, was in his 60s bow-legged. when he did. He was
4: in his 60s when he did the Father and in, in Christmas Story, and, and I don't really, think he he doesn't feel like he's 60 there. Uh, like he doesn't. Uh, he feels pretty uh, young. So it's amazing. Anyway, sorry ready. guys, <laughs> sorry guys. As much as we'd like to talk about Darren McGavin's uh, Fountain of Youth, um, <laughs> uh, and the fact that you know you want to watch these early movies, like you can see him like uh you know shirtless and everything. So he's 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 working out. Um. But, uh, yeah, let's uh, – it's been so amazing to talk and reflect about the Night Stalker with you guys. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, we are going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to close out the show.
1: I was in the lab late one night when my eyes an eerie
6: sight. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. It is now October, which means that spooky season has officially arrived. And to help get you in the spirit, there are two offerings at the box office this weekend. The first is the newest chapter in the Exorcist franchise called Believer. Now, I find these type of movies fascinating because horror movies historically have been cheaper to make than some of the big budget ...sci-fi and superhero action movies. So even if they don't go gangbusters at the box office, they're still able to turn a profit. And I think a lot of these type of mid-budget movies will play an even more important role in the box office... ...post-2020 COVID, which reshaped how, when, and why people consume content. So hope that horror fans find this one satisfying in a scary good time... If you're not looking for quite that intensive thrills and chills, it's a great time to catch the 30th anniversary re-release of Disney's cult classic, Hocus Pocus. I got to see this movie for the first time several years ago and fell absolutely in love with it. Bette Midler is a delight as a witch and her several sisters who create a bunch of havoc in a small town on Halloween night. It's silly, it's over-the-top, it's cheesy, and just some good, clean Halloween fun. On the small screen, I'm very excited about the premiere of the newest season of The Great British Baking Show. This is a show that has inspired me personally just to try baking more things and experimenting in my home kitchen, and it's always fun to get to know the different contestants, see what they create, and then try to guess who will be the ultimate winner. And that's it for this week's Box Office Buzz. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog over on the ESO Podcast website, including my review this week of the new sci-fi movie, The Creator.
3: Pardon the interruption. We'll bring you back to
5: your podcast in just a moment. But first, promo for the Cosmic Pizza Podcast. Here on the ESO Network, three hosts recommend this podcast. I recommend it. I recommend it. And I recommend it.
0: On the Cosmic Pizza Podcast, it's a slice of life as we discuss literally anything in the universe. Cosmic Pizza Podcast,
5: here to serve all of your needs.
6: Wednesday, I'm here with you people. It's like
5: wild. No pizzas were harmed in the creation of this podcast. Hey
6: everybody, Michelle here with an iconic
0: rock talk show moment. It was two years behind schedule, cost 2.3 billion dollars. But the Vegas Sphere finally opened for business on Friday when U2 kicked off their Octung Baby Live residency in front of a celebrity-packed crowd with Paul McCartney in attendance, Metallica's Lars Ulrich, Flavor Flav, uh, Brian Cranston, John Hamm, many, many more on hand to see this. Uh, They are playing Octung Baby in its entirety, not in the uh, album song order. They split that between two sets, and in the middle, they kind of do what they feel. They cover some songs. They'll play some from another album. This past Friday, they chose Rattle and Hum, and they also played an emotional tribute to Jimmy Buffett. They have Bram Vandenberg on drums filling in for Larry Mullen Jr., who has had back surgery. And um, this place is two football fields high. So, and that's all video screens. So, of course, the visuals are just brain-freezingly amazing. But apparently the sound is also immaculate. People said they could hear the edges' fingers on the strings. So it'll be really fascinating to see the schedule going forward and see who we have to go see in Vegas. Uh, The rumor is that Harry Styles will be the next one up. And diabetes is a major health problem in the United States. How is that? How's that for a whiplash segue, everybody? Diabetes is a major problem. You probably know that. And researchers have been trying to come up with ways to get to treat it. And they have been working with the idea of injecting insulin-bearing cells and then triggering them to release insulin at the appropriate time and in the appropriate amount and they've been working with different triggers to try to get this to happen. They've tried magnetic fields, they've tried light, and they came up with the idea of sound and music and the song that they found seems to work the best is Queen's We Will Rock You. This was a study in mice and cell cultures and, and right now it only works if they actually put the speaker on the little mouse and play We Will Rock You to get the insulin to work so yeah, they have some bugs to work out here but it's an inter- definitely an interesting concept and uh, Brian May weighed in on this he is a man of science uh, but he's also an animal rights activist so while he was delighted that Queen Music could be used to help human health uh, he is not real happy that it was done in an animal study, um, and it is true that uh, other models are much preferable to animal studies, so hopefully they can devise a human clinical trial and uh, get, this, get these designer cells uh, as a viable treatment for diabetes. And speaking of Queen, uh, that Freddie Mercury auction did take place at Sotheby's last month in London, brought in $50 million in U.S. US currency, much, much, much more than they ever dreamed that it would bring in. Uh, so hopefully all these items are out into the world with people who love and cherish them the way Freddie did. And I know a few fans were able to pick up some small items and they were just over the moon. So Freddie Mercury's wonderful art uh, is, is out into the world. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment and we'll catch you next time.
5: Hi, I'm Joe Heath. I'm Tony Heath. And we host the Watchathon of Rassilon.
6: A podcast where we're watching through all of classic Doctor Who.
5: Nope, we've already done that.
6: We did? Well, then now what do we do?
5: What do we two do? We review New Who. Ooh,
0: we two review New Who. We do
5: just for you. Who? Not you. Them. The listeners of the podcast. Ah, the Watchathon of Rassilon. Now we review New Who too. Whoohoo! Welcome to a Geek Girls Take. I'm your host Angela, and this week we're going to talk about why I haven't been talking about television or movies for the past few months. So there's this thing that's been going on: the writer strike. And the SAG after strike. And I'm a SAG after eligible member, which means during the strike, I can't promote anything that is through the big producers union, which means all the television shows and movies that are currently going on. Which, trust me, this has been so hard to figure out what I could and could not talk about with you guys. So I've been trying to make it work by talking about books and comics and makeup. And games and all of that stuff that I'm allowed to talk about. But I've also been keeping up with what I've been watching and recording episodes. So when the strike is over, I can still share that with you guys. Because I've been consuming a lot of media. I just can't talk about it. And that's really, really hard. Because I love this stuff and I love sharing it with all of you. So if you've been curious and not too interested in what I've been talking about recently, just know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel because SAG went in for talks this week and hopefully they will get a deal worked out so one, we can get back to work and two, so that I can share my love of all of this media with all of you. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girls Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out.
1: So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Air Station One podcast. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Mark D., thank you so much for being here tonight. You were a fountain of information. This was awesome.
4: It overflows. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one word for it.
1: <laughs> Anything you want to promote or, you know, shout out
0: about?
3: No, I'll, I'll add one thing because we talked about the, uh, the Seattle Underground. You know, for a lot of writers, they're, they're, they they're, they're, they're I could win this award or that and I've never been big on that any of that kind of stuff you know to, to me the reward is when somebody comes up to you and says you know I read your book or I read that story and you know it's really terrific but one of the great things that to me was better than any any kind of award was when somebody came up to me and told me they took the Seattle underground tour and they said and they're selling your book there
0: nice. uh, that yep, was that better awesome. I said
3: I, I don't need any I said that's all I need to hear. I said, that's, that's, that's Aces. That's that worth Asus. any award you could possibly get. You
4: know? And, and for those people who are just listening to this, he just showed the book. It's Night Stalking, Pulchic Companion.
3: Uh, well, I that's yeah. Night Stalker Companion. That's the second, uh, uh, version. Oh, that's the second one. I mean, this is gotcha. Night Stalker Companion. So this yep. was the second one. This is 97,
4: you know. Cool. Cool.
1: That is awesome. Well, that makes sense that they're selling that one at the Underground.
3: Yeah. Well, stuff. not now, but this was back <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: You go it's there now or go night. like they'll go like what? I don't know what you're talking about, dude. But so, thank you, Mark. It's been awesome. And Mr. Maddox, thank you, sir.
2: Thanks for having me on. Um, this went way too fast. We uh we got to talk Always about the first, we talk about the first film a little bit about the second one. <laughs> How about having us on next Halloween to talk about the actual episodes? I'd like to do a, a, a breakdown of favorites and unfavorites. I've got my own. <laughs> I think that personal...
4: could, I, I think that's going to need to be its own podcast. It's going to be its own series. <laughs> but
2: uh, but I, but I <laughs> appreciate you having me yeah, on. First station, we're, Kolchek. Yeah.
1: in this case, it could be another eight years until we do it again.
2: <laughs> well, the thing the thing is is you know I've been I've been lucky to be able to do some cold Check covers for Moonstone. I did their first comic, uh, Cole The Night Stalker Files, uh, their comic book cover for that. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'll probably be doing some more for Moonstone. Uh, I also got to do the cover for the uh, Kino Lorber uh, box set of the TV series. I was sorry I didn't get in touch with them soon enough to try to do the first two films. I would have loved to have done those too. But Mark uh, was also involved with that Blu-ray set. So uh, I was very impressed with the look of it the uh, i was started watching and going, uh boy the i guess the restoration's okay and then i started realizing all these makeup doesn't hide acne on people's faces anymore the way <laughs> it used to in the 70s and sweat and and glistening skin and and shabby stuff and and you know, hastily built sets and things like that. And I thought, boy, this is amazing. I mean, they did did a really, really good job. And there was a tons of extras on there. Now, I didn't realize it was now out of print. Is that right? I, I,
4: I know that it's difficult to get. I know that every time Kino Lover has one of their sales, which they're just about to do, it it it's not one among them so <laughs> wow
2: okay but i was i was i was honored to be able to work on that and i was glad that mark got to be able to work on it as well if anybody should have been on that set it should have been him so that was great
1: that is awesome sir that is really really awesome and mr mike we've made it
4: through another one my friend we did and as always it's my pleasure anything you're going to shout out about yeah, I'm going to shout out, uh, you know, like I said, our good friend Bobby Nash and some other friends of the station contributed to the new Moonstone collection, the 50th anniversary. Uh, the hardcover is is awesome. It's uh, it's great. Like I said, it's that's 50 bucks, but um, uh, but you can get the soft cover a lot cheaper. Um, and I definitely recommend anybody who's interested in Kolcheck, uh check it out because it's full of really, really fun stories. And, uh, I had, I, I had a great time reading it. It, it, it goes into, uh, you know, his history. So it it goes into a lot of things that I probably, I don't know. I don't know what canon is as far as Kolchek goes. So I don't know how much of this is really like, you know, canon or not, but, but it's interesting creativity nonetheless. And, and some of the art is just beautiful. JK Woodard does a lot of the art on this, including the variant cover that I have, uh, which is a Batman tribute, but, um, it's a solid read, and uh, I would imagine that Moonstone is probably the only place that you can go to to get more Kolchek uh, stuff in the future. So uh, check out Moonstone. We'll have a link in our show notes for them. Excellent, excellent.
1: Uh, my shout-out, real quick, is going to be our friends, the misbehaving Mavens. Ooh. They are no longer with us because they performed their last show. But those who were not in Northern Virginia and couldn't attend their last show... You could now be part of it. That's right, folks. The Misbehaved Mavens are releasing their last show live. On they're releasing it on CD and also for download. You can actually order it from their website, misbehavedmavens.com com. We'll have a link for it up in our show notes. And for only twenty bucks, you can actually be part of the show, and it's pretty awesome. And you know, we could listen to it all the time, and it's a ton of fun, and it's you know, for a good cause cause they were a bunch of amazing young ladies and they were so frippin' talented and I wish they would have stayed together because they were just great and had plenty of times to see them at dragon con and a couple other places. So it's definitely worth checking out and you know, like I said, I have it in our show notes. All right. That's going to wrap up tonight's episode. Thank you as always for listening to the earth station one podcast. Always remember, we couldn't do this without you. If you want to support a podcast, please check out the T Public store and get some really cool ESO Network swag. We're going to have some new designs up there really, really soon. I've got, like, already on the drawing board, like, three or four new T-shirt ideas, and so those will be coming up. Also remember, if you want to listen to our show before the rest of the world, why not join the ESO Network Patreon? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support us here at our Station One. Check out our us out at com slash ESO network. We also want to hear from you. Please write us anytime at feedback at earthstation1.com. Remember, you can also find our Station 1 wherever fine podcasts are found. And now our Station 1 can also be found in video format up on YouTube. And as a little bonus for watching us up on video, we now have bonus material, except for on this episode, because we just went a little long tonight. <laughs> That's cool. But you can, if you sign up at our YouTube channel, you can get some of the bonus stuff and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just hit like and subscribe, as we like to say. If you made it this far into the episode, you know what? Why not tell your friends and tell your neighbors and, you know, subscribe, leave feedback. Give us a thumbs up. It's always a good thing to do. On behalf of myself, of course, Mike and Mike and Mark and Mark. (laughs) Thank you, guys. It's pretty awesome. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. You have a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com ESO Network to sign up.